Good morning, everyone. My name is Dan Halleck. I'm the lead pastor at Cedar Home Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us this morning on Facebook. Today is an exciting day for Jesus' followers all around the world because today is Palm Sunday, which is the first day of Holy Week. During Holy Week, we remember the events that happened in the seven days before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection from the dead. And so among other things, we, we celebrate that uh, Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, uh, Jesus' cleansing of the temple on Tuesday, Jesus' last supper with his disciples on Thursday, Jesus' arrest and trial and floggings and crucifixion and burial on Friday, and of course, his resurrection on Sunday. And we celebrate the events of Holy Week because they so clearly display to us the immeasurable love of God towards sinners. Um, Holy Week reminds us of all the types of suffering that our Savior Jesus Christ endured voluntarily for us in our place as our perfect sacrifice. And the best part of Holy Week is, is Easter Sunday when we celebrate that Jesus is not dead, but Jesus has risen from the dead and his atoning work for sinners is complete and it is pleasing to the Father. And Jesus now calls all peoples of the world to turn away from sin and to trust in him so that they can be at peace with God and so that they can be saved out of Satan's kingdom of darkness and into God's kingdom of light. We praise God for Jesus' atoning work and for that offer of salvation that we have today. And this week, as we celebrate Holy Week as a church family, we're going to focus on the book of Matthew. Uh, we'll, we'll look at Matthew's eyewitness accounts of Holy Week uh, in today's sermon, and then also in our Good Friday service, and also uh, during the Easter Sunday service. And so I included a link on this Facebook post to some daily readings in Matthew that I encourage you to do as an individual or as a family, which will uh, go right along with our, our sermons and, and messages this week. And so this morning, uh, we celebrate Palm Sunday. And so let's open together to Matthew 21, verse 1. Matthew's uh, the first book of the New Testament. Uh, it's about three quarters of the way through the Bible. And if you need help finding it, you can <clears throat> turn to your table of contents at the front of your Bible and it will give you the page number. So before we read today's passage, uh, let's, let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us. <sighs> Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together today. We thank you uh, for coming to us, Jesus, coming to save us. Um, God, we uh, just ask for your help now as we open your word. Help us, Holy Spirit, illuminate this word for us. Turn on the lights for us in our hearts so that we can see what's there and see not only the facts of the passage, but the, the marvelous truths and awesome realities uh, that are here for us in Christ. 
we want to celebrate you well today, Jesus, and worship you in our thoughts and our hearts and our words and our actions. And we ask for your help now. Please protect us from Satan. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I will read Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, and then let's go back through it verse uh, one verse at a time. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on their cloaks and uh, put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So let's go verse by verse back uh, at this passage. Let's look at it one verse at a time. It's, it's a really interesting passage. And there are a lot of things here that might puzzle us 21st century readers. So let's 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 just start to talk about what's happening here. Well, this event takes place uh, at the very end of Jesus's three-year public ministry on Earth. Over the previous three years, Jesus, uh, his his disciples, his twelve disciples, and also thousands of other people followed Jesus wherever he went to see what he would do next. People were captivated by Jesus. Because nobody spoke the way that Jesus did. And nobody did all of the miraculous things that Jesus did. And nobody displayed such awesome power uh, both over nature and over people like Jesus did. And so whoever became, uh, whoever encountered Jesus just became intrigued with him and asked, who is this man? Who is this man? And Jesus said that the ultimate reason he came to earth was to rescue humans from the eternal punishment for their sin and to bring back them into bring them back into a peaceful uh, friendship with God and and he would accomplish this by putting people's sin to death in his own death on the cross and then by rising from the dead as our eternal peacemaking king and all throughout Jesus' ministry, uh, whenever he did an amazing healing or a miracle, he would tell people that saw him do that not to tell anybody because it was not time yet for him to go to the cross, is what he would say. And so uh, the more that Jesus' fame spread, the more that he would be seen as a political threat to the Roman Empire and the more that he would be seen as a religious threat 
to the Jewish Pharisees. In God's wisdom, God had foreordained a specific time when Jesus should go to Jerusalem to be persecuted and to be put to death. And so now at the end of his public ministry, the time has finally come for Jesus to go to Jerusalem, which was the capital city of the Jews, to lay down his life for you and for me who trust in him. And if you look back just a few verses earlier in Matthew 20, verse 17, Jesus explains for a third time why he's going to Jerusalem now. Matthew 20, 17 to 19 says, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles, the Romans, to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day amazing that Jesus said that before any of this ever happened. And that was his third time saying it. So let's look now at Matthew 21 verse 1 then. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. Now whenever I read verses like this with lots of names and places that I don't know, I like to look at them on a map or Google them so I can actually visualize uh, what this looked like. Jesus was east of Jerusalem as he walked toward Jerusalem. And about a mile east of Jerusalem, he came to a small village called Bethphage, which was atop a, a mountain or a high hill called the Mount of Olives. And here at Bethphage is where Jesus prepares to enter Jerusalem, not on foot, but on a colt. And Jesus would ride this colt as he descended down into the valley, the valley of Kidron, which separated the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem. And the colt would carry him up the other side of the valley to one of the gates of Jerusalem and into the city of Jerusalem itself. So about a mile east of Jerusalem, atop this Mount of Olives, Jesus sends two of his disciples into a small village of Bethphage to to get a donkey and a colt. And what's remarkable, um, though, here is, it's not surprising, is how Jesus reveals his omniscience here. That is, how he reveals his complete knowledge of everything past and present and future. According to verses 2 to 7, Jesus sent two disciples into Bethphage, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you, will, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. <clears throat> so even though Jesus hasn't even entered Bethphage yet, he knows that in this little village of Bethphage, there's going to be a donkey there. And Jesus knows that immediately when the disciples enter into Bethphage, they're going to see the donkey. 
And Jesus knows that a colt will be with that donkey. And Jesus knows that the owners of this donkey and coat are, uh, colt are going to ask, why are you trying to untie my animals? And Jesus knows that the owners will let them uh, borrow this donkey and colt when the disciples tell the owners that the Lord needs them. And so, you know, if today's passage... Were the, were the, if this passage, these verses we just read, were the only passage of scripture you ever read, you would be puzzled by Jesus's omniscience here. Um, how could a mere human know all of these things and also perfectly predict them and then also display such obvious divine authority that the owners of the donkeys and the colt immediately believe Jesus's disciples and gladly let them take them? You know, if I were reading this passage today and I weren't a follower of Jesus, I'd probably either be wondering, who is this guy? I mean, who 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 was this Jesus who, who knew all these things and who amazed everybody by his authority that was supernatural? Or I, I might be thinking, well, this can't be true. Whoever wrote this must have lied when they wrote it. Well, I could give you all sorts of reasons why we know that the Bible is true, why we know that Matthew wasn't lying when he wrote these things, but because that's not the focus of today's sermon, that's not going to be my focus here. But if you're interested in learning why we trust the Bible completely, uh, feel free to message us on Facebook. We'd love to tell you uh, why our church agrees with verses like Psalm 119.160 that, that say that the sum of God's word is truth. The sum of God's word is truth, and every one of his righteous rules endures forever. Now, if you can accept that Matthew is telling the truth here, then you got to ask, who is this Jesus? Who is this guy? Because either he is who he said he is, or he is a liar, or he is a lunatic. If you've never read Josh McDowell's short book called More Than a Carpenter, or if you've never read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, I encourage you to, to read those because they dive into these arguments more deeply and explain why Jesus was neither a liar uh, and also why he was not a lunatic and how we know that and also why we can trust that Jesus is who he said he is that uh, he is God. And so this leads us then to a really interesting question. Since Jesus is God, then why in the world did Jesus enter Jerusalem on the back of a cult? Well, let me give you three reasons. First, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a cult to publicly declare that he was Jerusalem's savior king that they'd been waiting for. Jesus entered Jerusalem on a cult because he was declaring that he was Jerusalem's savior king that they'd been waiting for. The time had finally come for Jesus to declare that he is the king of his people. He is the king of God's people. So Jesus would no longer tell people to stay quiet about him. Uh, about him. Uh, he would now declare publicly his true kingship. And he would now rightly receive all the praise that was due to him as their king. But we know obviously that Jesus was unlike any other king the Jews had ever had. Jesus was 
the Savior King. It was the Messiah King. Jesus was the Son of David. And the Son of David was the title for the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Christ who would free God's people and who would grant them everlasting victory over their enemies. So if Jesus really was this amazing, unparalleled Christ King, then why did he enter Jerusalem on a colt instead of on a majestic war horse? Well, in ancient times, kings would ride majestic war horses to cities when they were coming to make war. But when they were coming in peace, kings would often ride on a donkey. And there are several stories of Old Testament kings like King Solomon who rode on donkeys at times. And so Jesus did not enter Jerusalem atop a war horse because he wasn't coming to make war. Jesus rode atop a colt because he came to make peace. And specifically, Jesus came to make peace between God and men by laying down his life for the sins of men. And this is God's offer toward humanity today, to make peace with God while you have the opportunity. Because Jesus said that he's coming back to earth at some time unannounced, and when he comes back, he will not be coming back to make peace. He will be coming to make war, to kill and to eternally condemn all of his enemies, both demonic and human. And God gave the Apostle John a vision of that future day, and John describes it in Revelation 19, 11 to 16, writing, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of, of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So that, that is an awesome, fearful picture of what Jesus' return will be like when he returns to earth. His his followers will rejoice. His followers will welcome him as, as our returning coming king, and we will worship him and enter into eternal rest with him. But on that day, Jesus will not spare his enemies. So do not disregard Jesus' offer of peace today to you and to me. Trust in Jesus and trust in his death for sinners and in his resurrection from the dead. And be saved. Repent. Turn from sin. Change your mind about who you always thought Jesus was. And about all the things that you're looking to to save you. And instead turn to Jesus. And look to him to save you and to satisfy you forever. And start to follow Jesus as his disciples. Start to follow him with our church family here at Cedar Home. None of us are in this alone. We are a church family. We do this together. and We want to learn together how to follow Jesus' commands 
as we also rest in his grace and rest in the fact that we gladly obey the one who perfectly obeyed God's law for us. The second reason why Jesus entered Jerusalem on a colt was to fulfill several ancient prophecies about Jerusalem's Savior King. The second reason, again, was to fulfill, uh, Jesus rode on a colt to fulfill several ancient prophecies about Jerusalem's Savior King. In verse 5, Matthew quotes the prophecy of Zechariah, which Zechariah wrote about 500 years before Jesus lived. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Zechariah wrote, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. In this prophecy, Zion is another name for Jerusalem. And so the, the daughter of Zion refers to the citizens of Jerusalem. And Zion specifically, uh, excuse me, uh, Zechariah specifically prophesied that Jerusalem's uh, savior king would come to Jerusalem humbly mounted on a donkey and specifically on a colt. And Jesus is actually fulfilling several Old Testament prophecies here, including one from Isaiah 62, and then a very interesting one found in Genesis 49, which was written more than a thousand years before Jesus lived on earth. And in Genesis 49, Jacob blesses each of his sons before his death. And to his son Judah, Jacob says that from the tribe of Judah will come a king to whom all peoples of the earth will bow down. And that king would bind his foal to, his, to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. And Jacob's ancient blessings were ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who was born directly in the line of Judah. And that's one of the reasons why Matthew writes out Jesus' genealogy at the beginning of his book, to show that Jesus was born in Jacob's family line, Jesus was born in Judah's family line, Jesus was born in David's family line, which were all uh, necessary uh, prerequisites for the Messiah. And so the supernatural circumstances which aligned for Jesus to enter Jerusalem on a donkey, just as God's prophets had prophesied hundreds and even thousands of years before, these declare to us that Jesus is our Savior King who we've been waiting for. And the third reason why Jesus entered Jerusalem on a colt was to reveal his unparalleled humility. To reveal his unparalleled humility. In Zechariah's prophecy that Matthew quotes in verse 5, Jesus is described as humble. Humble. What a fascinating way, fascinating way to describe a king, right? But what an accurate way to describe all of Jesus's life on earth as humble. Jesus was born in a manger, a humble birth among farm animals. Jesus traveled as a humble man among the countryside, as a man with no belongings and a man with no home. Jesus spent most of his time with the poor and he beckoned the little children, the least of these, to come to him. 
Jesus was very, very humble. And now Jesus comes not on a war horse to punish those who have rejected him and who have rebelled against him, but he comes now to serve these people and to save them. And Jesus told us to follow us, uh, to, excuse me, Jesus told us as his followers to follow in his footsteps that we should be humble, that we should be one another's servants just as he has served us. Just a little earlier in Matthew 20, 25 to 28, we read, But Jesus called to him, called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, and it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And even though there were kings in the Old Testament who did ride on donkeys, I, I could not find any other king who rode upon a donkey's colt. I could be wrong, but to me, Jesus' choice to ride on the colt displayed the depth of his humility, which surpasses the humility of any other king or any other person who's ever lived. Jesus was a king who lowered himself lower than any other king who became a slave to sin for us in order to free us from our slavery to sin. Our Savior King Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many, he says. And all of us who... Um, Excuse me, with, with the, the way that he ransomed us was with his own shed blood, which was the currency he used to purchase us forever for himself. And, and all of those who belong to him are those of us who trust in him. We are the ones he purchased. So Christian, because of, of Jesus' act of cosmic humility displayed in his life and depicted here in this passage, you and I have been adopted into God's family because Jesus purchased us with his blood. Amen. What a savior king Jesus is. There is no one like him and we will praise his name forever. And so Jesus entered Jerusalem on a colt to publicly declare that he was Jerusalem's savior king that they'd been waiting for and to fulfill several ancient prophecies about Jerusalem's Savior King, and to reveal his unparalleled humility. Now let's look at the rest of today's passage. Let's see how people responded to Jesus' entrance upon the colt. Verses 8 through 11 say, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, people likely came from all directions to cheer for him. People from Bethany and Bethphage behind him and people from Jerusalem in front of him running toward him out of the city to meet him on the road. And as, 
as, as Jesus was now finally publicly declaring that he was the king of the Jews, people were ecstatic. They were thrilled. Verse 8 says that most of them spread their cloaks on the road before him, which was only done for royalty. We do this in our culture too. When, when the president walks, we roll out the red carpet before him. Uh, at weddings, before the bride walks down the wedding aisle, she uh, the, the, the flower girl spreads out flowers in front of her for her to walk on. We spread out cloaks and red carpet and flowers for royalty to walk on. The people also in this crowd cut palm branches from the trees and they spread them out on the road because palm branches were the symbol of Jewish nationalism. So the, the crowds, they were glad to do this. They spread out all these palm trees before Jesus to celebrate this victory that they had with this king, that, that they're going to finally be victorious over all the nations because of Jesus. And all around him, people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And, and in the midst of all this chaotic shouting, uh, the colt that Jesus was riding upon was likely frightened because especially since this colt, it says, had never been ridden on before. And this is most likely why they brought the donkey, the colt's mother, along to comfort the colt as they walked together through this crowd carrying the humble Savior into Jerusalem. And we know from the Gospel of Luke, from Luke's account of of this exact same event, that as Jesus neared Jerusalem, Jesus began to weep for the people of Jerusalem. He began to cry deeply because they were so misled. They were so, uh, they, 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 they were so wrong about who he was. Yes, they were worshiping him, but they weren't worshiping Jesus because of who he really was. They weren't worshiping Jesus for being this, their Savior God who came to make peace with them through his own bloodshed. Instead, most of the people in the crowd were celebrating because they were thrilled about what Jesus was going to do for them. They were thrilled about what Jesus was going to give to them. All they wanted was to conquer the Romans so that they could be free again and so that they, as the Jews, could be the nation on top again. Jesus came to give us freedom and he came to give us victory but he did not come to give us a political victory or a political freedom. Jesus came to give us everlasting spiritual freedom and victory, which is infinitely better than any temporary political victory or freedom. And Jesus wept for the Jews because he knew how many of them would quickly turn against him when they realized that he came to die and not to free them from the Romans. And if Jesus wept for those who loved him and worshipped him for who he was not, then I imagine that it still saddens Jesus when people worship him for who he is not. So many people love and worship a Jesus who is not the real Jesus, who is not the Jesus of the Bible. So many people make Jesus in their own image, and they insist on worshiping only this Jesus that they have created. People worship the Jesus who will make them healthy and who will make them wealthy 
People worship the Jesus who loves and tolerates all the things that they think he should love and tolerate. People worship the Jesus who loves them unconditionally and demands nothing of them. But if you want to make Jesus glad, then worship Jesus for who he really is. In John 4, Jesus said that it's not enough to worship God passionately. You must also worship God truthfully. You must worship God in spirit and in truth. And the only way that we learn how to do that, the only way we learn what Jesus is truly like, is by reading his self-descriptions that he's given us in his word, the Bible. So Jesus does not make us wonder what he's like. Jesus does not make us guess what pleases him. Jesus tells us explicitly and clearly what he is like and what pleases him in his scriptures. And this is the whole reason God gave us the word. It's his revelation so that we can know who God is and what he's like and what he wants from us and what he wants for us and how we can have friendship with him forever. So may God help us to see him in scripture for who he really is. And may he help us to love him and to worship him for who he really is. Verses 10 to 11 say that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowds said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So some people believe that Jesus was a great prophet. Some people even believe that he was the son of David, the Messiah who had come to save them. But what many people did not believe is that he was God in human flesh, that he was their eternal king who came to save them from sin and Satan and hell and death. I love how verse 10 describes the effect that Jesus had on the whole city of Jerusalem. It says that the whole city was stirred up or shaken up. And the whole city was saying, who is this? Who is this guy? And that question is one of, if not the most important question you will ever ask. Who is Jesus? And the reason why that question is so eternally important to you is because according to Jesus, your experience of life on earth and your experience after this life for all eternity depends on who you believe Jesus is and how you respond to him. And so with the crowds in Jerusalem, ask with me right now, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth who rides on the colt of a donkey? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth who, who was born in a manger in Bethlehem, yet was worshipped as a king at his birth? Who is this Jesus who instantly turned 180 gallons of water into the finest wine? Who is this Jesus who walked on water? Who is this Jesus who calmed the raging seas with a word? Who is this Jesus who touched the lepers and healed them? Who is this Jesus who touched the blind and the crippled and healed them? Who is this Jesus who eats with sinners and calls them to repentance? Who is this Jesus who speaks with the authority of God? 
Who is this Jesus whose face was transfigured and shone like the sun? Who is this Jesus who said that he came to seek and to save the lost? Today, my friends, you must decide how you're going to answer that question. And if you don't know who Jesus is, then I encourage you to read through the Gospel of Matthew this week and humbly pray to God and ask him to show you the truth about Jesus. And how you answer the question, who is Jesus, will determine then how you respond to Jesus. Either you will submit to him and gladly see him as your Savior and God, or you will reject him. There's no middle ground. Jesus said, either you're for me or you're against me. And I'm praying, and we at our church are praying that that God will uh, reveal to you in a powerful way that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he is God, that he is the way and the truth and the life, and that no one comes to God except through him. I pray that you would say by the power of the Spirit, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is my Savior because he died for my sin on the cross. And I put my faith in Jesus alone to save me. Jesus is the God who created me. He's the God who created me to have friendship with himself, to be at peace with him. Jesus is the God who I want to follow with my life. And I no longer want to follow the pattern of the world around me. I want to follow Jesus. Well, if that's your response to Jesus today for the first time, then we celebrate that. And I encourage you to be baptized in God's name, just as Jesus commanded his followers. You can message us on Facebook, and we'd love to talk to you more about baptism. Today on Palm Sunday, we we worship Jesus for entering Jerusalem on the back of a colt in order to die for us. We worship Jesus for being our humble, peacemaking, Savior King. We worship Jesus because he's our God. And if you believe the gospel, if you believe this good news about Jesus, and if you respond to it by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord, then we invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper with us this morning. If you haven't already done so, then please pour yourself a small cup of juice and break off a piece of bread or a cracker. Let me explain briefly what the Lord's Supper is. During the Last Supper, which we are going to celebrate this Thursday, Jesus sat down with his disciples for his final meal before his crucifixion. And during that meal, Jesus gave us a new ordinance that we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And Jesus told us to take the Lord's Supper Supper together as his church until the day of his return when he will take it with us. And the bread symbolizes Jesus' body, which bore our sin on the cross and was broken on our behalf. And the cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus, which was shed to forgive us and to reconcile us to God. Before we take the bread together, let me pray for us. (sighs) Lord, we thank you for laying down your life that your body would be broken for our sins and risen in glory, God, that your blood would be shed to purify us from sin so that we might have your righteousness imputed to us. God, we confess that 
We don't deserve your mercy and grace, but we thank you for it. We can never thank you enough. Thank you so much that our salvation depends not on our doing or our level of believing or our good works or anything about us, but our salvation depends solely on you, Jesus, and on who you are and on what you've accomplished already in your perfect life and your substitutionary death on the cross and in your victorious resurrection from the dead. Thank you for giving us the offer to be united to you in victory through faith. We want to worship you and praise you as we take the Lord's Supper now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The bread symbolizes Jesus' body, which bore our sin and was broken on our behalf. The Apostle writes, the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 23-24 writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And now we'll drink the cup together. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we get to partake in communion with you. In a moment, Dylan will lead us in a closing song. But uh, I want to encourage you as I close to participate with us this week in Holy Week. Like I said earlier, our focus is going to be in the book of Matthew. And there's a link on this post about some readings you can do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday that follow the life of Jesus during the Holy Week. I look forward to joining you together uh, on Good Friday. And before that, this Tuesday, Dylan has a presentation on the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And Wednesday, Jana has plenty of fun events for uh, junior church kids. So thank you so much for being here this morning. We love you. And we're thinking and about all of you. and We're praying for all of you. And uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to us if you need help.